were you thinking about what can I do next? The first year off university, I thought I'm going to take a year to try to become a musician. It was a bit of a 180. And I was quite committed to the cause, built a band, was writing songs, booking gigs all around Melbourne. I always had this perception of who I was going to be by the time I was 30. And it was this really vivid image. And I remember having it when I was 10 years old and 13 year olds. And it was like, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be really free. I'm going to have a great girlfriend. <laughs> and I was just like really confident in this image that I had of myself. It wasn't necessarily all about me. It was also about leveraging that to do interesting things and good for the world. And I was really confident that that's who I was going to be at 30. And at 23, I was a musician, you know, making next to nothing. Then I saw, for the first time, I had some real responsibility. This is Finding Founders. I'm Samuel Donner. And today I'll be speaking with Max Hurton, the founder of Megaphone Marketing, who also happens to be from my motherland of Melbourne, Australia. What you heard just moments ago was Max vividly recalling the motivations behind his shift to full-time entrepreneurship. That anecdote pretty much captures Max's ambitious, inquisitive, and fun-loving spirit. From creating comic books as a kid to conducting social media marketing, it's clear that Max has always been an innovative soul. That said, the same free-spiritedness that unlocked Max's creativity also landed him in some heated situations. When I was younger, my parents sent me to Sunday school and I rebelled really hard against religion and I rebelled really hard against law school. And one of my favorite things to do growing up was prank calls. So I would always be prank calling people and I was kind of like the class clown and always a good way to entertain my friends. And there was a payphone at Sunday school and every recess we would go and would prank call. This is gonna be great. mainly trolley trackers, which is if you lost your trolley and you'd call up this number and then they would recover the trolley for the the supermarket. And eventually, because we prank called them so much, they would just instantly hang up on us. One day we're all sitting at the payphone and we're like, we're really excited to prank call, but they weren't answering our calls and we didn't know any other free numbers. So we thought, why don't we prank call the fire brigade? I get on the phone. Hey, there's a fire. Then we hang up. We all think that that's hilarious. Um, us being literally six or seven years old, um, you know, and we just, we're all having a good laugh. And we're back in class, everything's back to normal. And then I hear... And I, six fire trucks rock up uh, to the Sunday school. And they're knocking on different doors. And you can hear just yelling. And then they get into our class and they go, who called us? And I put my hand up straight away. I was like, I need to admit to this. It's definitely going to come out. And um, yeah, my stomach completely dropped when I heard the fire brigades. And yes, I owned up to it. And I said, look, because you owned up to it, we're not going to give you the $10,000 fine that there's usually is. But this is going on your permanent record which to a seven-year-old sounds like a terrible thing. I'm like, I'm going to have to live with this forever. You know, it was a very traumatic experience, but then I didn't decide to tell my parents. I just thought, 
you know, I'm just going to let this <laughs> blow over. And then two weeks later, um, I was trying to entertain my friends, making fun of the teacher. And the teacher decides to call my parents and says, Oh, your kid was just making fun of me. And by the way, Abby called the fire brigade two weeks ago. And so then they found out everything that I'd been doing and I got grounded for a month. I think uh, I was inherently a really good kid. You know, I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to make my friends laugh. It was all about entertaining and just kind of expressing myself. By trying to entertain his friends, Max unknowingly created the most epic childhood prank story. Max might have said that it wasn't his proudest moment, but I believe that this prank has more to it than just mischief and mayhem. Max was a splash of color on an otherwise gray canvas, enlivening the plain stagnant structure of Sunday school. Guided by the palette of his innovative spirit, he was an artist that actively drew outside the lines of rigid normalcy. That same enthusiasm that went into prank calling later fueled a more benevolent venture, selling comics. There are about 60 million, that's 60 million comic books published every month. In the later years of primary school, um, I'd always finish my work early and that started drawing a lot and I came up with this cartoon character could a buggy which was like a human with no body and um, for whatever reason friends were really excited about it and my friends started drawing different variations out of it like there'd be a ninja buggy and a sports star buggy and eventually what happened in my school was we would draw different posters different comic books and people would want to buy them We would sell them for 20 cents, 50 cents a dollar. And we started this little business where I'd get one friend to draw it, one friend to color it in. And then throughout the school, we would go around and selling it to everyone in the school. And it became like, it became a craze, like a Pokemon craze, but just within the uh, confinements of our school. And the drawer would get 10 cents and the color in would get five cents. And I would take the rest of the money and reinvest it into like textures or pens and different things like that. So it was kind of my earliest case of entrepreneurship. What do you think it was about you or this character, this project that got people so involved and excited? Because I was always the entertainer. I was also the one that was a bit fearless, I guess, in primary school. So the one that was willing to climb on the roof or the, the you know, climb the tree and, and do the silly things. And so I think potentially that had other kids looking to me as someone um, to follow. And so when I was excited about something, then other people got excited. And when they got excited, it just kind of flowed on naturally. Just throughout my whole life, I've just wanted to make things as fun and adventurous as possible. And so uh, I've always liked humor. I love comedy. Um, I love people that make me laugh. And I like to make people laugh. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. From prank calling to selling comic books, Max had one goal in mind, to make people smile. 
Because of his adventurous attitude, he already built a business making comic books at an age where most kids were just beginning to read them. To Max, comic books were about manifesting happiness. To him, consuming others' imaginary adventures wasn't enough. He had to craft his own and take others along for the ride. His vision was fueled by the sheer breadth of his imagination. So ideas were never in short supply. Creativity was Max's superpower, and he would continue to dazzle. When I was in about grade five, um, I first heard about a CD-ROM burner. And to me, as someone that loved games, that really wanted to get into music, it just seemed like the coolest device ever. I think this is maybe correlated to my um, mindset as a, as a business person because to me, it was so obviously so valuable. Even though it was really expensive at the time, it was $650. I just was so aware that it was this one resource that could just get me infinite amount of games and, and content. And so it was like a mixture of like two birthday presents, brother's birthday present, and we all went in together, all pocket money, and we got an external CD burner. And it could burn a CD in 44 minutes. And I was so excited about it. And then I went straight to, I mean, illegal, went straight to the video shop, hired like three different games and just put them on the burner. And then I went to school and started selling games for, you know, down from $60 down to $15. And I had different deals and packages and we paid off the burner in under a year, I think. And we ended up making, you know, quite, quite a bit of money for kids. And it was enough to get me any game that I wanted, any you know album that I wanted growing up, which was pretty cool for a couple of years. I definitely didn't feel like attached to money. Um, I just saw it as a way to get more fun, freedom. In high school, I just thought it'd be funny for no reason to start the Max newsletter and uh, message every single person called Max in the school with uh, a nickname, a famous Max of history, um, you know, a funny story about being called Max and maybe like a product that had the word Max in it. And I'd put like an hour or two into these newsletters and send it and no one asked for it. And then if you weren't called Max, you had to pay a dollar to subscribe to the newsletter. I, I mean, it's just probably more of a function of just how I spent my time during high school, just trying to be silly and, and have fun. Max certainly knew how to make himself memorable. With his Max newsletter and his CD burning business, he showed that he could entertain and make money simultaneously. In fifth grade, Max already understood how to make an investment that would produce favorable returns, which were astronomical for a kid. But I think what's more impressive is how clearly he understood what money meant to him. Many view money and passion as binary. Do what you love or do what brings you money. And they struggle with striking the right balance throughout their lives. But Max saw money as his ticket forward to continue doing everything that he loved. However, high school would momentarily dampen his spirit as the roadblocks of adolescence appeared. School became more serious. It was partially because I became more self-conscious. I had acne, I was growing fast. I was, you know, starting to think about girls. Uh, I was very conscious of my like social status in school. 
And I guess all of these other external factors just led me to start to feel more self-conscious as a human being. And, and I definitely lost a lot of that fearlessness. I didn't feel as free. Definitely in high school, I started to feel really constrained by the teachers, by the amount of people that I could hang out with, by the opportunities, by the classes that I had to do. And I think for maybe most of it, but definitely the last three or four years, I was thinking about how good it's gonna be outside of high school. For a lot of high school, I felt like this wasn't the right environment for me. I think the big thing I was focusing on was, you know, having watched so many movies that university is going to be fun and partying and girls and freedom. I think that that was the the thing that I was focused on. Freedom is obviously a central element of Max's life. And without it, his headspace just isn't the same. I think most of us would agree that freedom and high school don't go hand in hand. Going to the same classes, seeing the same people every day is tiring enough. Combine that with the woes of adolescence, and it's clear why Max could no longer operate with the same fearlessness. Knowing that college was at the other end of the tunnel made the process of struggling through high school a little more bearable. But after being constrained for so long, it's easy to forget that the real world and the freedoms that come with it present their own unique challenges. How did you start preparing for university? And what were you thinking that you wanted to do there? My goal was just to do something open because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in life. I liked math. I liked creativity. So I ended up doing commerce and economics, finance and marketing. But again, at university, I felt like I was definitely not a fan of the classes and I didn't feel like I was learning very much. There was maybe a lack of respect sometimes for the teachers that didn't really feel like they wanted to be there. I spent a lot of my university years partying. I actually actually want to frame you entering to university. So you have these high expectations of university being full of girls parties uh, and whatnot. And... When you get there, it doesn't quite meet your expectations. How do you uh, make university maybe a little bit more like you imagined? In terms of living out my university fantasies um, of just fun and adventure and meeting people and, you know, what everyone says that their late teens, early 20s are meant to be like, um, I realized I was going to have to take action myself. So I started going to different university parties and realizing they were really fun, a lot of cute girls, a lot of uh, cheap drinks. Um, And at the same time, as I was taking control of my life socially, I started taking control of my life on the education front. And it was probably the first time in my life that I started actually reading books. I was a bad reader I just I didn't I didn't connect a lot of books this was the first year where I started reading by choice my curiosity led me to uh, different articles and so I started reading about psychology about self-improvement about self-esteem about understanding people about um, social dynamics and that led me to reading books like Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people Malcolm Gladwell 
um, Blink, and all these interesting books and ideas. And I kind of realized how valuable these ideas could be in terms of taking control of my own education. I like to push myself to the extreme. And for someone that always felt disconnected to school and disconnected to university, I now finally fell in love with learning. Two of the most influential books that I read, one was The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon, and one was The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. You know, there's some books that are incremental, but those books were exponential. They just put me on another, another life. I have one poster in my bedroom, and it's a poster of The Fountainhead cover, and I was actually going to get a tattoo of The Fountainhead. Um, I've been to a tattoo artist. I'm trying to get the tattoo design. Something that's always felt really connected to me is this idea of integrity, living in alignment to the values that you say are important to you. And I think that if you do that, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll feel happy and satisfied and you'll be successful because you're living consciously. Fountainhead is uh, the embodiment of integrity. Thousands of years ago, the first man discovered how to make fire. He was probably burned at the stake he had taught his brothers to light. He held his truth above all things and against all men. He went ahead, whether others agreed with him or not, with his integrity as his only... The Six Pills of Self-Esteem is the dictionary or the instruction manual on how to be that person. And so those two books combined made me realize areas where I wasn't being assertive, where I wasn't being aware, where I wasn't being conscious. And it allowed me to channel all this energy that I had growing up into something that felt uh, aligned and really exciting. Max's newfound love of reading, something he had long despised, opened his eyes to a wealth of knowledge and possibilities. It helped him realize that learning is not limited to educational institutions, that all he needed to act on his ideas was a healthy dose of confidence and perspective. I do find it ironic how it was a love of partying that unlocked Max's thirst for knowledge, but it kind of makes sense. Some people lose themselves in hedonism, but others learn to use it as a prism through which they examine their lives in greater detail. Through his readings, Max found a quote from Ayn Rand that would be the glue to his new worldview. Integrity is the ability to stand by an idea. These words made it clear to Max where he ought to channel his energy, which would serve him well in reconnecting with that fun-loving kid inside. We'll be right back after this break. So Adrian's been having a little problem with his car recently. Yeah, so like Sam, the stereo of my car just keeps playing our amazing Jim Quick episode over and over and over again on repeat. I enjoy it, but I just want to listen to our newest founder wisdom. We realized we had to get this fixed immediately. So we called up some mechanics and asked, hey, can you fix this? Hey, uh, my car has been bugging out on me lately. Uh, do you guys fix stereos? Stereo? No, we don't fix stereo. Oh, it, uh, it keeps like playing this like entrepreneurial podcast over and over again. They give like this intimate deep look into founders' triumphs and failures, and like it has like music and soundscapes. Yeah, but I don't know nothing about stereo. We don't want any engine. Oh, you're not involved in stereos. Well, honestly, like I actually kind of like hearing it again, and again. Maybe I don't need to get it fixed. <laughs> If you want to check out a cool podcast, I mean, the one that's been playing over and over in my car uh, is pretty good. It's called Finding Founders. You should check it out. (laughs) I think he's going to listen to it. I guess we'll see. (laughs) 
So don't forget to get your oil checked and make sure you listen to Finding Founders, share it with a friend and rate five stars. Now back to the podcast. How did you start applying these books to your business venture? This business venture, it definitely wasn't about money. It was just about fun. It was like, I love to party. Other people must love to party. And so it became more of a hub than just about partying. It it became the resource to find university events around Australia. I was at my friend's house that was also on this similar journey with me. And we wanted to create a hub because we were thinking about how much we would like a hub. So we're like, surely there must be other people. And I wanted someone to go down that journey with me because I was scared to do it alone. And I didn't, if it was terrible, I didn't want all the fingers pointing at me saying that was a dumb idea. We created a fake Facebook profile of a guy named Yunus Parteus um, who created uni party listings. And then we just started finding all of these events and recreating them on our Facebook page. And then within a month, we had 5,000 people that liked our page. We had people messaging us all the time saying, you know, what's coming up. There was other societies messaging us saying, hey, can we get ours listed on your page? And it became a hub for societies to list their events. Um, What was our reaction? I think we were just like, this is cool. Like we're helping people party. We're helping people do what we want to do. I don't think we were thinking about money. We wanted, like, we wanted it to be bigger, but we just wanted it to help more people. You know, we were just enjoying the, the journey. Before we knew it, we had like 40 or 50,000 people across all of our pages, across all of Australia. And, you know, every, every couple of days, we'd look at all of our inboxes and start posting out all the events. And it, it just became like this weird little thing that we did on the side to just help everyone party. Creating a fake persona to gain customers is quite the growth strategy. But what stands out about Max's business venture is it wasn't really one to begin with. What he really wanted to do was build community for partygoers like himself. And in an effort to serve this community, he would propel his expansion efforts. You know, I, I, I don't think I thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I still thought my future was going to be me working in finance or me working in economics or something like that because I just didn't know anyone that was an entrepreneur. I don't know if it was, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be my career in the future. I just thought this is fun and let's just keep doing it. And I learned a lot in that process. I didn't know anything about design, user experience, user interface. This whole venture, you know, it wasn't a money-making venture. But it was still something cool when we were like, oh, we've got Red Bull on our website. We got Future Music Festival, which was you know, one of the biggest electronic parties uh, in Australia. Max was legitimizing his business and he was reaping the benefits. With magnetic charisma and fun-loving energy, Max had a knack for networking. And that knack for social extroversion was translating into a successful business venture on the verge of making a national impact. But this would only be a pivot point towards further entrepreneurial exploration. Were you thinking about what can I do next? The first year off university, I thought I'm going to take a year to try to become a musician. It was a bit of a 180 and 
I was quite committed to the cause, built a band, was writing songs, booking gigs all around Melbourne. I always had this perception of who I was going to be by the time I was 30. And it was this really vivid image. And I remember having it when I was 10 years old and 13 year olds. And it, and it was like, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be really free. I'm going to have a great girlfriend. <laughs> and I was just like really confident in this image that I had of myself. It wasn't necessarily all about me. It was also about leveraging that to do interesting things and good for the world. And I was really confident that that's who I was going to be at 30. And at 23, I was a musician, you know, making next to nothing. I was doing all kinds of odd things to make money to get by. I was a poker coach and a graphic designer. And so I thought, well, this is my chance to just figure something out on my own. And I'm going to take a year dedicated to entrepreneurship. But there was this moment where I was like, oh, if I actually want to do that, Now's the time to actually do it. And so that's when I think I got serious. I think that was the first time that I really thought, I've looked at people that have jobs, they don't seem happy. No one seems happy, no one seems fulfilled. Offices, I didn't like gray carpet, I didn't like those bright lights. There was just something about that that was really scary for me. And so I thought, well, this is my chance to just figure something out on my own. And my goal was to make $20,000, which was my number, stay afloat, to live. I didn't want to rely on too many of my other ventures. I wanted to try to figure out if I could make money as a business or doing my own thing so that I could never really have to work and kind of get to that goal of being free. So how did you start to pursue that goal? So at the start of the year, there's two things that I was working on. One was uni party listings. One was like Tinder for Facebook events. So it was a way to like see all the people going to an event and you could get a secret match before the event. And it was for networking, it was for meeting women. So we built those. I, I found a programmer, we built a working prototype. We got some of the biggest parties in Melbourne to sign on. And then I had this chance tram ride where I bumped into a friend and I told him what I'd been up to and he told me what he'd been up to. And he said, uh, I've got this client who I'm building an app for and they need some social media marketing. And it sounds like you know what you're doing on Facebook. Like you've been hacking all these Facebook strategies. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at Facebook and you know doing all these hacky things. And he's like, if I can connect you and sell you social media marketing services to them, are you happy if I take 20% and you take 80%? And I'm like, that sounds amazing. You know, <laughs> I have no income right now, so of course. And so we go to meet this client. It was a year 12 careers expo. So it was the biggest careers expo in Victoria and, and New South Wales. And he ends up doing all of the sales, closes the deal. And then we have to call this something. So we ended up starting a marketing company, a digital marketing company that we called Megaphone Marketing and that my mom actually came up with a name. <laughs> and two weeks later, he's like, oh, I'm not, not that interested in marketing. So I'm going to leave, but I'm going to take my 20% and leave. And now you're on your own. I was a little bit disappointed because he was the one that knew how to sell. He was the one that knew how to get clients. And I was meant to just be the nerd in the background doing all the work. <laughs> but I did all the work for them. And I was really committed to getting them a good result. So I just spent hours researching different strategies and a lot of like really low cost kind of hacky strategies to get them a really good result. And they ended up getting the most amount of attendees that they've ever got. And oh, wow. they were really happy with how it went. And so that was my first client. They paid me $5,000 which was a lot of money. That was, you know, towards my $20,000 goal. I was already a quarter of the way there. And so I thought, well, if I just get a few more clients like this, I'll hit my goal. And it's probably of everything that I'm working on, this is the safest business 
You know, my goal wasn't to become a billionaire. My goal was to be free. I didn't want to do it in a risky way that might work, might not work. I just wanted to do something where it was like a stepping stone. It actually aligned to a lot of my interests over life. It was analytical, it was creative, it was human interaction, it was psychology. All of these things kind of came together in marketing and, and digital marketing. And so that was my first client. And then from there, I went to the expo and there was 170 businesses exhibiting there. And I spoke to every single one and I made a spreadsheet and I wrote down business name, how many Facebook followers they have, how frequently they were posting, any other information that I could have. So I spent a few days building this spreadsheet and then I just went from person to person saying, hi, my name's Max. I did the Facebook and social media for this event. You know, I can see that you're doing this. I can see that you're doing that. Are you interested in having a chat after the expo about how I could help your social media? So literally I did that for two days in a row, about eight hours a day. And I ended up getting about four or five businesses that were interested in having a conversation. And one of those was Access Education, who became my second client. And yeah, and that's kind of how Megaphone started. And so now I had two paying clients. I remember I did the first sales pitch and he said, you know, I don't know if I'm interested. And then I was reading more about sales and I was like, oh, you know, I need to provide more value. I need to, I need to have more urgency. I need to, uh, you know, have actually asked for the close. So I came back, I created this new report and I said, do you want to get started? And he said, and he bargained me down and uh, it was $800 a month. And he's like, okay, cool. We got a deal. And shook on the deal, signs the contract, walk out of the room. And then I just go, yeah, I was like, woo, like. I was so like straight faced in that meeting and I was like, okay, cool. You know, you've got a good deal, but okay. And then, you know, I went straight on Snapchat and I was like, I just got a client. Like I just got my like second ever paying client. And I was over the moon excited. I probably celebrated for a week. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really big moment because it was the first time where I, I thought, oh, if I do this 10 more times, then I'm actually going to be free. I'm actually going to live this life that I wanted to live. And it was hard. It was really hard getting that client. And then when I had that client, I did so much more than I should have. You know, I rebuilt their website. I posted their social media content. I responded to engagement. I run their ads. You know, any platform that they wanted to go on, all within this little tiny fee. But I was just there to get them a result. And it was also like I was getting paid to learn on their dollar. So it was an amazing experience. And um, I think a few months later, I got my next client, which was, you know, a friend that worked at a, a, a physio. I do my whole presentation and, and pitch. And I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can do Facebook and that's what I'm really good at. And, you know, that's why it's really important. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. He's like, I'm not interested in Facebook. I want Google ads. You do Google ads? And I was like, yeah, of course I do Google ads. And he's like, okay, cool, I'll sign up for Google Ads. And I'd never done Google Ads in my life. So that night I did an eight hour course. The next day I did a six hour course. And then the next day I started working on his Google Ads. Max wanted to give his best self to his clients. Ever since discovering the wonderful treasure troves of knowledge lying within books, Max has been on a mission to learn. So his lack of experience in Google Ads only motivated him to hit the books harder, to catalyze his growth. But what's interesting is that his motivation is self-imposed. 
There was no diploma waiting for him at the end of the tunnel. Learning was about gaining freedom, the freedom to choose when and where he worked. Sitting behind a desk doing paperwork was a prison in itself. But meeting new people and landing clients, that sparked joy. And he would continue to pursue that joy by hustling. I was getting better and better at what I was offering as a service, but I was really bad at figuring out how to get new clients. And so I spent a lot of time learning, you know, and I started reading a book every two weeks. Uh, I was doing an online course every two weeks. I was following 10 different blogs, 10 different podcasts. And although I wasn't working that hard, I was studying really hard. I loved education for the first time and I was obsessed with education. And I was really just trying anything that I could to, to get a client. So slowly I was figuring out ways to get the next client and the next client. I think I hit kind of a barrier once I got to around $100,000 a year. It took me about, let's say, 14, 15 months to get to about eight to 9K a month. But then it kind of flatlined. And I think there was a part of me that once I got to that number, I was almost scared to put in the work to get to the next level. I just hit this barrier where I was like, you know, if I can make 100K a year, then I'm sorted and then I can live whatever I wanted. But that wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted to build something interesting. I wanted to learn. I wanted to challenge myself. I think at about coming on to three years is when I hired my first employee. At that point, I had about 15 to 20 clients and I was doing sales and I was doing quite a lot. And I'd been reaching out to all of these different mentors. And one of my mentors, this guy, Luke, I was saying to him, well, what if you know, this employee steals my clients? You know, don't you think that that's a risk? And he's like, what is the risk if you don't ever employ someone? And I never thought about the risk of not scaling. And that was the kind of the message that really put that idea into my head. And so I hired my first employee, I had this idea to get a chef. I'm all about efficiency. So anywhere, any place that I can add efficiency to my life, I'm, you know, I want automation, everything. And so I thought, well, if I have someone cooking meals for me, then I'll eat healthy and they'll always be ready and I'll save time on cooking. So I put out a, an ad on Facebook and my friend's younger brother applied and I ended up hiring him. And he was a 20 year old that had this amazing mentality and I could just tell by the way that he operated, he was going to be successful. Like he brought over his own kitchenware to my house. And so after him working with me for a few months, I thought, okay, the chef thing doesn't really make sense because I've just been overeating everything that he cooks. But I thought, why don't I try to get this guy working for Megaphone? So I just seeded the idea. I said, hey, do you know anyone that could be a good salesperson for Megaphone? You know, someone with a really good attitude, uh, like a young hustler type of mentality. And he's like, I would be the right person for the role. And I was like, oh, interesting. Well, maybe you should uh, come on board. And so he ended up being my second employee. So as you started scaling, when did you start thinking of yourself as like an entrepreneur? I think getting my first office and an actual working schedule with my first employee and buying furniture and building it together and just having a culture, having a place where Megaphone lived, that made it a lot more real and serious. And I think then I saw for the first time I had some real responsibility. I had someone else's income to worry about. I had someone that wanted to grow, that had their own goals that I wanted to nurture and I wanted to be a good boss for. 
And I think I was really nervous about getting a job because I was worried about being stuck in a corporate culture and, and something that didn't feel aligned to me. So now I had the responsibility of giving the kind of culture that I wish existed to my employee. Max says that getting the office, getting the first employee, creating his own corporate culture was the moment he realized that he was an entrepreneur. But I think the entrepreneurial identity runs deeper than that for Max. Entrepreneurship represented liberation. In school, he felt that he had to change himself to fit in. He felt constricted, like the walls were closing in on his creativity. And that showed in his academic performance. But when it came to something that his mind had birthed, when it was his own idea taking corporeal form, everything changed. He went from avoiding marketing classes in college to doing eight-hour online courses a day, and no amount of work was too much. Our company starts with a founder, their work ethic, and their vision. But just when he was starting to feel comfortable in this leadership position, he had to take a step back. I guess Megaphone just kept growing. And I started stepping back a little bit and my role became more about thinking about the future and a lot of education, reading a lot of books, networking. With Lauren stepping more into the CEO role and me having a bit more free time, I was thinking a little bit about where are my other interests as well. And although Megaphone is always going to be one of my core passions, I've always loved learning and I like explaining the power of learning. And so I wanted to kind of explain the principles of learning and why it's so fun and rewarding. And I also just wanted to learn more. So a few years ago, I started a YouTube channel where every month I learn something new and I document the process of me learning. Hey, my name is Max and I've started a new project called Max's Monthly Challenge, where every month I set a new challenge and I tag it with full steam and you can see how I go along the way. And I just want to kind of get people excited about learning and, and express some of those things that I've learned along the way. And where is that now? I mean, it's got over 100,000 subscribers. Some of the videos have over a million views. So it's had some level of impact. But I think what I realized is I've loved my YouTube project, but I think I have a vision for where Megaphone wants to be. And that's my primary focus. And I've got this other business as well. And I've got a big vision for that. And those are the things that I'm getting the most energy out of. So those are the things that I'm really trying to push. Taking a step back doesn't mean you were retreating. It means you were regrouping, seeking a new perspective. And as someone who actively sought out the spotlight, taking a back seat couldn't have been easy. But that's leadership. A leader doesn't just try to be self-aggrandizing. He rallies his troops and helps maximize their potential. And stepping back actually allowed him to see his greatest strength, his penchant for self-education. But Max wasn't satisfied with just creating a company or a YouTube channel. He wanted to create a lasting impact. And he'd find that impact starts within your own company. Today at Megaphone, we've got over 200 clients all around the world. And what we do is just try to figure out how we can help them get more sales and leads. And we're pretty dynamic. So we love to use a lot of social media, psychology, funnel principles, and we've got a lot of different team members with different specializations to try to think through these problems, to try to get results. One of our principles is you always hire on attitude and not skill set. 
if you think about me starting or our early employees, they didn't have the skills, but when they're keen to learn and develop themselves, then they can become anyone and their curiosity will lead them to be this powerhouse. And so I think our culture is built around self-development, individual growth, driving your own path, curiosity, transparency and communication, and then fun as well. Like we're always trying to think about how we can have fun. It should feel meaningful. It should feel aligned to a good mission, but it should feel fun. And it should feel like you're working with interesting people on interesting projects and there's meaning behind your work. So what does the future of Megaphone look like? We've just tipped over 50 employees. We're trying to hire another 16 right now. We've expanded into LA. We've expanded into Sydney and Melbourne this year. We've started to go into New Zealand as well as another city in Australia. We've got a big vision. We're all about efficiency. We're all about revenue and profit. But at the end of the day, one of our missions is to create the best place to work for. If you're creating the best place to work for, then the more people that you can get part of that culture, then the more people that you're giving an amazing job where they can grow individually, where they can get fulfillment through their work, and the more businesses that we can help in kind of a cool, transparent way, in, a, in the megaphone way, as we say. So I'm very ambitious for Megaphone. You know, we have a vision of having a thousand people around the world. We have offices, all the major cities from Asia to Europe. And, you know, in our new office that we're looking to build right now, we're just always thinking about how can we level it up? You know, will it have the gym? Will it have the cinema? Will it have the standing desk? Will it have just ways where people can collaborate in unique ways and doing it all in kind of the Megaphone way, which is kind of fun, but at the same time, results driven. And what advice do you think you would give to your 20-year-old self when you were coming out of university, maybe wanting to be a musician, maybe not knowing at all? Like, what advice would you give that person? Some of the things that I'm starting to realize, self-education, so important. Invest in yourself more. I think I had this idea that the money was going to run out one day and I was a little bit scared to reinvest. I was a little bit scared to back myself as much as I should have. And I think just double down on the things that I'm working on. You know, the money doesn't really matter, but the investment back in yourself and the speed in which you're growing and giving back and feeling uh, impactful, that's, that's the thing where I've got the most enjoyment out of. Why pay tens of thousands of dollars for a mere college diploma? I bet there are many people that don't actually know how to answer that question. And they would tell you that they just want to better their lives. In the society, we've been conditioned to believe that going to college is just what people do. But Max sees a multitude of opportunities beyond the walls of institutional education. Max never thrived in the traditional classroom setting, and he knew exactly what was absent from his relationship with it. Passion. Chasing grades just doesn't cut it. Max wanted more, which led him to develop a real love for learning. The desire to learn is a mindset, one that stems from the belief that we are human beings that have tremendous capacity for growth. Max started his YouTube channel because of his strong passion for that self-education, and now he's racked up 110,000 subscribers. What we can all learn from Max is there is so much opportunity to soak up knowledge and perspective, be it from books, podcasts, articles, shows, or classes. All it takes is a willingness to engage. So don't just idly sit by at your 10 a.m. lecture or that next meeting. Do your best to make sure that you are engaged and you are interested in your development. Seek out what excites you both within and beyond your fields of study. Because if you're willing to put in the work, it is always worthwhile to bet on yourself.
Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our editing lead is Adrian Tapia, with the support from Joseph Cho, Eli Lauren, Matt Fernandez, Amir Gold, Spencer Khan, Sophia Donner, and Shannon O'Halloran. Our script writing team lead is Joyce Mock, with support from Avnish Sengupta, Prerika Chafla, Mitchell Lin, and Gemma Brandwolf, Elizabeth Bowen, and Sharon Chen. Our outreach and research lead is Jessica Lin, with support from Sasha Ivanova, Marie Vaughn, Lisa Le, Alice Yao, Ankita Numbiar, and Jamil Swayce. Our design and social media team lead is Annie Liu, with support from Phoebe Sajor, Tiffany Dang, Rick Liu, Kayla Erickson, Shruti Ramanand, Ling Mu Hu, and James Barton. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.